Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Pregnant ladies and little kids better get the hell out of the way because I am running. I'm just, I'm like Forrest Gump, dude. I am running. So... Titanic was the biggest ship on the ocean, but that didn't mean it was unsinkable. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. I want you to use ombudsman in a sentence next week. I got one for you. My name is Kevin, the official ombudsman of the Desperate Play Podcast. You like apples? <laughs> All right. Welcome back to another Just Press Play pod. We got Pops LJ with us, fresh off of. Watching the finale night of the last dance. Oh my god! What's up, over. guys? It's over. What in the world yeah, are we, we doing now? What are we gonna do now? Well, luckily it's Memorial Day weekend next weekend, so there's probably gonna be able to find something for next weekend. But yeah, that little uh, five week vacation we had on Sunday nights is now ended, and I obviously it's recency bias. Did we just watch the best sports doc? It, it was a good. One. It was really good. Ooh. That's a good question. Um, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say no. Okay. And I'm going to say that because I've seen some of the, you know, with Jordan having the last word of what gets in and gets right. out, I, I mean, although I thought he did let some stuff get in that I could see him not, you know, but but it was all still pretty positive to him. And and I, I'm a fan, no doubt. But I think like some of those, I watched a little bit of the 30 for 30, the Pistons. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the bad boys, Pistons, the bad boys, yeah. Pistons. That was fantastic. So it was good. The best ever. No, I would say no. What about that one? There was that uh, running back, um, the greatest who never was, or something like that. There was that thirty for thirty. Um, oh, Marcus uh, Dupree. Marcus Dupree, Marcus Dupree. Was what a, really that's a good, good one. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah, I think you have a good point, Pops. This one was awesome because it was MJ and we haven't, like these tapes have been in the vault, you know, like we haven't gotten this. MJ doesn't allow us into his, into his brain and room and, you know, like let us really understand Michael Jordan a little better. And we did get that opportunity, but it was clear this was MJ's doc and it was going to, like, like the fact it gave us great moments, but the fact that they interview Isaiah Thomas, but then let Michael Jordan see what Isaiah Thomas says before yeah. we get Michael Jordan's response. I mean, it was clear who was getting last word, and you know what? I guess MJ earned it. He's got six rings on his yeah. to show yeah. it. So. Yeah, I'm not griping it. I get it. I understand it. I'm okay with it. But if you ask, is it the best one, I would have to say no, in large part based on that. So let's get straight into last night, and let's start with that Mainly the 98 finals, that last dance, but the 97-98, the Utah Jazz Bulls kind of little rivalry they had there for two years where they were in the finals both years. Um, One, I would just like to say I hope Brian Russell had a good support group around him before Sunday night (laughs) because that had to be tough to just sit there and watch over and over and (laughs) over and over again how Jordan hit the shot on him. And let's just go right here real quick, Pops. Did he push off? I I tell you what, I... I've got this in my notes. The push, <laughs> quote unquote, on Brian Russell. And I think MJ was right. 
all his momentum was going to the baseline because I mean I, I think his hand was just on him. I don't think he pushed. And by the way, if you remember the play right before that, he beat him to a layup. Yep, so yep. I mean he faced. So he was already worried about he getting. He was already beat. worried about getting beat. So you know I wish the hand wasn't on it, but it was one of those. I think the hand was just there. I don't think it was a push. I really don't. I'm a noted what a, Jordan what a fan, all-time. so I will say that. But <laughs> what an all-time quote from Bob Costas! It was like that hand was just a merdeed of him getting to his table or something. <laughs> that was a good. That was a good little line. Yeah, I think I was. And sometimes this would just be an argument just to rile up a Jordan fan, you know. But I watching the different angles and really, I don't think the hands there, obviously, but I don't think the hand did much. Brian Russell's still going and Jordan stopped. It, it, I think that I don't think it's much of a push off. LJ, what did you think watching? watching you know, the I, clips? I agree 100% with you guys. It was, it was just uh it was a hand that was there. I want it to be a push off cause I want to be a contrarian, but it wasn't, I don't think, <laughs> but the, I will say one thing. So that photo that they keep showing of that shot, right? Where you see maybe from, the most iconic photo from Jordan's back and the shots in the air. One of my favorite things is just look at the fans. Those jazz fans know that they just lost game six. They know it. Yeah. It's I think, well, and you hear Bob Costa say it on the call where he's like, Jordan pulls up open look. Like it's a clean look. And did you just, everyone feel like, obviously watching it on TV, we know what happened. So yeah, obviously I felt like it was going in, but even you just know, like you're like Jordan's and there's no way. I feel like dad watching that in, in real time, you were like, he just did it. Oh, he yeah. just did it. Before yeah. it even goes in, you know he just did it. Well, what was the other shot they showed where he double-clutched and still? Uh, it was against Indiana, <laughs> India, Indiana yeah. I think, in, yeah. in game against, six or something. Yeah, where he almost, almost hits it. Well, And I wanted to get into that, but like, like you mentioned, all the Utah Jazz fans knew he made it. Maybe my favorite clip was Jalen Rose saying, look at Larry Bird's face after Reggie Miller hits that three. And Bird is so, like the whole Indiana play. It's going nuts there. Yeah. And Bird's like, shit. Completely stoic. Yeah. And it's only like 0.6 seconds or whatever. Well, it wasn't like three seconds. I think it was, still was like 1.1, 1. 1, wasn't it? It was 1.1 maybe is what I was I thought it was not 0.7. I it, thought it was. It could be. I can't remember now. I, it wasn't much. And it, like it's one thing if there's like – 12 seconds you're like oh crap he's got a lot of time there was there was time for him to literally catch and shoot yeah and bird's like uh and because not only has bird seen him do it but bird's done it the greats know i feel like bird knows he could he would feel confident that he could get something off and so he knows mj probably feels good and mj almost did like it was so close um get into those the 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 98 finals we didn't get they gave us a little bit because like apparently brian russell was a, a noted like antagonist and talk some shit and he had the one thing that was like I-, I could guard you why'd you retire to Michael Jordan but we really didn't get all there was a little more of a beef going on back in because I watched and we'll put it to the show notes there's a, a sports center like Twitter account released like this sports center vault and it's Stuart Scott calling the highlights rest in peace to Stuart Scott but it was him calling the highlights on sports center and it was it was Stuart Scott in his element I mean it was great and at one point he's talking about those two, and he's like, "There was already a little beef going into the game, Brian." Actually, I think this was talking about maybe the flu game, but so it was just detailing that they had a beef. And like at one point, MJ's asked about Brian Russell, and he's like, "I don't have much to say about what what's his name? Is it Byron? Is it Brian? I don't even know what his name is." And then Brian Russell's like, "What's his name? Michelle? I don't know." So like <laughs> they're beefing, they're they're clearly wanting to get at each other. So for Brian Russell to have to watch 
MJ hit that shot over and over and over and over <laughs> again Sunday night. Had to suck. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, and then we also didn't get a glimpse in, and Dad, you may remember this. I've only heard stories of it, and there's an oral history on ESPN that someone wrote up. Uh, David Fleming, I think, for ESPN wrote it up before the last dance. And so I thought for sure they would get into it. I think it was the finals before. It wasn't the sixth ring. It was the fifth ring. And game one, Carl Malone's going to the free throw line. Tied up, I think I wrote down. Tied up at 82 with a minute left. He's going to the free throw line. Or less than that. Maybe it was like nine seconds Pops left. is already smiling. I don't even know where I you know go. the Pops story. Pops is already smiling. I know right. the story. <laughs> Malone's going to the free throw line. And Pippen, who as you, LJ, we watched it. He's not the, I mean, he's not the shit talker. He's kind of a quiet, MJ's the shit talker. Pippen goes up to, to Malone, whose nickname is The Mailman. Yeah. And says the mailman don't deliver on Sundays. And the game was on a Sunday. And Malone, who's a 74% free throw shooter, missed both of them. Oh. MJ goes back on the other and hits the game winner. How do we got to get that? That should have been in there. Oh, man. Oh, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, that should have been in there. I, that was fantastic. The is there, mailman I mean, that, doesn't is there like deliver an actual on clip there's a I, there's not there's a clip of the free throw. There's not a clip of Pippen saying it. You can uh, see clip Pippen kind of walk by him, but there's like a big oral history of all the different guys talking about it, and it's it's been noted that uh, said. Now what I want to know, Pippen, as we just mentioned, not the biggest like he's not like MJ. You know, always has a a, a remark to be said. Pippen, I feel like he had to have been thinking about that for a while. It's like, ooh, I got a good one. Man, when uh, it's the right time, I'm I gonna think, lay this out. I think Pippen is like he's like a Spartan where he doesn't say much. But what he says, it's going to be seven words and it's going to be all you need to shut a man down. Like, I think that's the kind of man he is. <laughs> the mailman don't deliver on Sundays. Uh, my, what I wanted to ask you, Pops, well, one, was that final minute, final 42 seconds of the sixth ring? That my, Jason Hare called it at later. He calls that the best 42 seconds of basketball ever, where MJ, like you said, gets by Ron Harper, makes the, the layup. And then the the possession right after that, actually, Pippen double teams Carl Malone with Rodman, and Rodman finds John Stockton for a wide open three, mm-hmm. and John Stockton knocks it down. But then Jordan goes, hits the, the the two free throws, and then the next possession doubles Carl Malone, gets the steal, then hits the game winner. I mean, Jordan willed his team to victory right there. Well, that, that was well, that was all Jordan. I mean, it, so so Jordan, I think you said Ron Harper, but he beats Brian Russell. You know, for the layup. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, he, he, and then I think didn't he? Well, well, like you said, Stockton hits the three. Then the guy hits the layup, right? Jordan hits the layup. Then he steals yep. the ball from the blind side of Carl Malone, and then hits, and the ball never leaves his hand. Nobody else touches the yeah. ball. It's and I love Pip, yeah. they ask Pippen, "What what what are you doing?" He's like, "I get in the, and you can watch the clip." Pippen won, and we're going to talk about it. He is hurting yeah, this yeah. entire game. But Pippen's like, get the like he runs as far away to the other side of the court, and he's even telling other guys like to just to make sure all the other Bulls players know, get out of MJ's way. MJ's taking this shot. If he misses it, he misses it. That's fine. But he's taking this shot. And Rodman says the same thing. Rodman's like, he ain't pass. Like, we've seen <laughs> him pass to Kerr. We've seen him pass to Paxson. He ain't passing this one. <laughs> and I like that's something Jordan just has that moment that I don't know if anyone else has a moment like that. Like he willed his team to victory, not only in the game, but just that final minute was insane. Mm. And and I wanted to ask you, Pops, that Jazz team, I think Stockton is still, he's played the most playoff games of anybody all time not to have a finals ring. That Jazz team's really, really good, wasn't it? Well, I think, isn't Carl uh, Malone the second leading scorer in the NBA? 
maybe. Yeah, I was going to ask you. He averaged his career was a twenty five and ten in eighteen seasons, and he is number two on the all time scoring list. All time, only wow. behind only Kareem Abdul Jabbar. LeBron wow. probably will pass him soon. LeBron's below like by two thousand points, but yeah, he has thirty seven, just under thirty seven thousand total points. That's number two all time. Wow. Now that was now, and that was but but to answer your point, so yeah, John Stockton, one of the best point guards of all time, and then somebody that just briefly got mentioned, Jeff Hornacek. Jeff Hornacek was a hell of a two guard. I mean, he yeah. could hit that three. He could drive. Hornacek was a great guard. Then you had Brian Russell. I mean, I, there, I, I could probably tell you some of the other players if I looked. Greg Ostertag wasn't bad. I, yeah. I watched an old I watched an old game of them playing the Lakers in the '97 year, and because I, I really wanted to get an idea like how good Malone is. And I'll tell you this, just watching an old game, a full clip Malone ended up with, I think 29 and 12 or 31 and 12 had a great game, but he never just jumps off the pace. You like yeah. Shaq. I was watching them against the Lakers. Shaq's the one that you're like, Oh man, he's the best player on this court. But Malone always did. It. I mean, you look at his, he's number two all time in scoring, but something about him just didn't jump off the pace to you, even though he was a great, one of the best of all time. Agreed. Agreed. And I think a lot of that was, he should he should give part of his Hall of Fame uh, trophy to Stockton because Stockton yeah. was a great assist guy and he got him the ball. They, I mean, they could do the uh, the uh, uh, what am I thinking of pick and roll the pick and roll. Yeah, they could do the pick and roll, just killing people because Stockton could shoot, he could pass, and he got the ball to, to Malone where he needed it. It they were a hell of a combination. And I will say this, I did not want to get caught in the post. Obviously, I don't. But just in general, I wouldn't want to get caught in the post. Malone's arms look like they're bigger than me. Kevin, you may not want to get caught in the post with Jerry Krause, dude. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think maybe I can hold my own with Jerry I think you can take down Jerry Krause, especially these days. Yeah, you could get crumbs. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Malone was a big... Big man. And Big you could man. tell because they had to double him with Dennis Rodman, who's not a slouch. I mean, Dennis Rodman's a strong man, and he was you had to double him because Malone was all that. Uh, and before you get I, off Malone, can I say this? Did you see him come on the bus to congratulate Jordan? Yeah. I thought that was wild. Ma- yeah, Malone was, was a legit guy. Well, he is a, He's a good guy. He, he also knew if Jordan came back next year and he didn't shake his hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's you're, right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I did want to, and I, you point that out, and I, everyone loves to talk about how the 90s NBA, like they're all buddy-buddy nowadays, and the 90s they weren't, they hated each other. I mean, even they did show the clip after winning the finals, Michael Jordan's walking out of the press conference or whatever, yeah. and so when they walk back, he walks right by Stockton and Malone and handshakes both of them. Mm-hmm. You see Larry Bird and Michael Jordan after that Pacer series, yeah. he says, well, Jordan he got on his ass. Yeah, <laughs> but like in the way that buddies do. Right? You're right, like you're right. It's clearly... Yeah. Buddy, buddy. But I, I, I do think there was a rivalry. Don't get me wrong. Like the bad, we've talked about it at nauseum with the bad boys and the bulls and stuff. There were some serious rivalries, but they were still like there was good sportsmanship. Like MJ wanted to dominate you, but he still respected Malone and Stockton and said good game afterward. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was cool that Malone he didn't get to see him after the game, so he went onto the bus and was like, "Hey yo, MJ, like, take off your headphones real quick. Nice game." And then because that had to suck to do, you just lost that for the second year in a row in game six on a last second shot. I mean, that, that takes a lot for Malone to get up on the bus and well, say, I'm not doing game, that man. at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I want to say, I'm glad we talked about it last week and I thought maybe uh, Scotty was getting not quite a fair shake. Cause we were really highlighting more of his, the, the crappy, the, the worst parts of his career. I didn't know the story about him hurting that whole game. And 
I have so much respect for Scotty. Yeah. I already did, but to see, I, I've I've not even had a bad back problem ever. Like really hurt my back. Just even like kind of hurt my back, and I'm like on the shelf for three days. <laughs> like didn't want to didn't want to get off the couch. And Pippen's running around, and he even says like he's a decoy. But still, just the fact that he's running around. I mean, he's really laboring. He looks like he is dying every well, time he runs up the court. And he wasn't just a decoy. I got his stats pulled up right here. He uh he played for 26 minutes, so about half a game. And he still pulled down the second most rebounds on the team and the most assists for the team. Like he played a full game. Yeah, and he hits a couple of buckets where if they yeah. put someone smaller, yeah. he was coming in the post. I just especially there was the one and they brought they made a point of it, but he gets like a rebound. And you can tell as he hits the ground, like his whole like he loses the life in his face almost because I think he's just hurting yeah. that bad. Yeah. And even MJ was like Pippen really toughed it out. Like Pippen stayed in that game. And I I'm just glad we saw that because I think you hear more about the migraine game. I knew about the migraine thing and yeah. didn't know about that. And so I'm glad we're getting a little bit of both because Pippen was a warrior. He was a really good player. And I think that the doc did a good job of showing him to be that. Well, and Jordan even said, you know, when he knew Pippen was really hurt and out, he said, it scared the shit out of me. That's, I yeah. think, quote, unquote, because he knew it was t- going to be tough against that uh, jazz team without Pippen. Yeah. So I, and I, so I think Jordan throughout that game was kind of, he knew like, oh, shit this is going to come down to me. Like Pippen doesn't have it. So I'm going to have to. And so he like was purposely using up just the right amount of energy and everything. But that last play dad, that steal, I think he had that steal in his bag, that double team coming on the blind side. Yep. That was in his bag all game. Again, like we talked about with Larry Bird and the greats. I think the greats sometimes know they're like, Oh, I have something up my sleeve, but I'm going to wait until the perfect time. And Jordan did. He waited till the absolute perfect time where they had to have it. And he perfectly dials it up right as, Malone gets it. You see him come off the screen, and Malone looks away for a second, and that second was all it took for Jordan to come back, slap the ball. And I think Jordan knew. It was like, all right, I got it. It worked. I'm going to hit this game winner. Yep. We're about to get this six ring. And, well, it's kind of like – I mean, you're right, history. because it's kind of like I think all dynasties kind of rhyme, so I keep on bringing up the Patriots, but it's like a total Bill Belichick move to, like, have this rule in your pocket that you know that you can just pull out at any moment, and you're just waiting for that right moment to, like, pull a third down pooch or whatever, you know? And Yeah. Um, well, and I, I think it takes a lot of – it. It it's harder than you think. One, just to, to learn, to figure out, okay, I have this advantage in my – I have this in yeah. my back pocket. But two, to know when that right moment is. Because, like, when you're up – when it's a minute left and they're down three, you kind of think maybe I should do it here. Maybe I'll pull it out here. Maybe I'll pull it out when it's a six minutes left in the game and we're down eight. Like you just, you always want that competitive edge, but he waited till the perfect time yeah. to get that steal when they had to have it and it worked. And I think that's just why there's, there's Jordan and then there's everyone else underneath them. I just watching this really kind of, you already know how great he was, but just some of the stuff he did. It I mean, makes he just, it real. He was amazing. It makes it real for sure. To us, well, they barely watched him. It makes it very real. That's why I mean, cause I that was my most basketball watching of my life is 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 during his time period, and so I'm glad that guys that I know respect the game and enjoy sports uh, and basketball were able to see how good he really was. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you, I can tell you, I can say all that. You you guys saw it. I mean, he was yeah. he, he was unbelievable. So he wins that final game, goes back to the hotel room. Awesome. I'm glad we got the clip of him back in the hotel room. It was just cool to get to see that. Uh, he's bad at the piano. <laughs> he is just awful at the piano. Yeah. And his whole crew is just letting him act like he's a good piano player. Because I guess who's going to tell Michael Jordan that he sucks at piano? But 
When he it said, was, when he was, was telling that reporter, he was like, yeah, I was in my hotel room. I was playing piano, like in a pregame warm up or whatever. I was like, you full of shit. Like, Jordan, <laughs> you weren't. And then, no, he probably was. He was probably practicing what he was going to do when the reporters were surrounding him at the, at the post championship party. I thought that was funny. So we also did get some clarification. It's something that we've talked about on this pod quite a bit. Yep. But and they brought it out again, and I still have I have a lot of questions because obviously I like that it might not be the flu game because I like a good conspiracy theory. But still, conspiracy Kevin is still can I have some holes to poke in Mister Jordan's story. So we do we have learned that it's not the flu game; <laughs> it's the food poisoning game, at least according to Michael Jordan. But I just so the story goes: he wants a pizza, or yeah. he's hungry, yeah. And so they find a pizza at what it was late at night, like ten thirty. Nothing was open, right? Because Salt Lake Utah, City. yeah, right. Nothing was open. And they're at the hotel that doesn't have any room service like other hotels would. Yeah. And so they find a pizza joint that's open and they order a pizza and five guys come to deliver this pizza. So let me stop there. What did they do to order the pizza? Did what did his trainer order up and be like, hey, I'd like a pizza for Michael Jordan, please. Well, I, Michael Jordan, number 23 for the Bulls. That's who I'm ordering for. I Just a, one slice. I have a feeling if pizza. the most famous person in the world is in a hotel room and I mean, Salt Lake City is not a big town. I mean, it's. It's bigger than like, say, Texarkana, but you know, it's not like the biggest town in the world. So like, you kind of know what's going on. You know that the finals are tonight. You know, Jordan's in town. You know, probably what hotel he's staying in. And you get a call for a pizza at 10 a.m. or at 10 p.m. Um, when everything else in the world's closed. You might start wondering. I They might not have said anything, but it might have been pretty clear. You know? Well, so I think another point to that is they obviously they said they had trouble finding somewhere that was still open. And I can tell you, I've spent a little time in Salt Lake City. It does shut down. It, it's yeah. not it like you're alluding to, LJ. It's 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 kind of a small, big town uh, in a right. way or whatever. And so the, maybe the, the trainer had to pull that out of his pocket and say, look, I, we're about yeah. to shut down. And maybe he said, look, this is for Michael Jordan. You know, would you please? You know, I could see <laughs> yeah, that potentially happening. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And I was going to bring up, too, LJ has a good point, too, that it's been no – like I've heard NBA players talk about a lot of times when they get to a hotel in a room, even when they're visiting – when they get to the hotel, a lot of times fans are already there hoping for an autograph because you you kind of know where the NBA teams stay when they come in town. Yeah, and so maybe they got a call, like you said, LJ. They got a call at 10 p.m. Someone wants a full pizza and they just need it right now. They have to have it. There's nothing else open, and they're like, even if they don't know if it's Michael Jordan, they're like, this could be a this could be a pie for four bulls, yeah. or something, you know. Right. And yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. you're you willing to food poison someone, even if it's Scott like, Burrell. <laughs> <laughs> Now, my second question, though, where's the sniff team at? What's going on? If five guys are coming to the hotel to sell to, to give one pizza to Michael Jordan, you're letting all of them up to the room? Leave that sucker at the lobby. I'll come down and get it. First off, I'm not letting five guys walk up to MJ's room. That's hard to argue and, with. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. And second off, just a little more backstory to the story from that I've heard rumors are from like the trainer and some different people. And this is something Michael Jordan did a lot. The reason no one else ate that pizza wasn't because they thought it was <laughs> yeah. sketchy. It's because Michael Jordan spit and licked on it because he didn't want anyone else to eat it, well, which he did oftentimes according to people close to him. Now, apparently, I did hear something. This is going to sound like I'm taking it up for Jordan, but I did understand that they apparently went out to eat and ordered. They were going to wait on Jordan, but they ordered and ate before he got out of the you know the training room or his press conference. Probably a card or game. Yeah. Our card game could have been. <laughs> and so he was pissed at him. Like, ain't none of y'all getting this pizza. <laughs> and he spits yeah. on it. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, I just want to, from, from things that I've read through the, 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 the folklore, is that it wouldn't have been the first time Jordan right. Spitter licked I, on some food to make sure his boys weren't going to get it. 
but I don't know. But so I'm wondering. There's some holes to poke in it, but also why? Like flu sounds better than food. Like flu's not bad. Like it's not like he's covering up for like a a bad story. Like, it'd be one thing if it was the Hangover game. Well, unless but, he's just trying to clarify that it for sure was not the Hangover game. I would say I could the, see it being the entire story. I think I believe is 100 percent true, except for the fact that I don't think that they food poisoned him. Because like first off. Like, what How do you do, they, do that? If you're tasked with giving somebody food poisoning, what do you do? Like, what are you going to do? You're like, oh, I've been saving that that expired meat for exactly. this moment right. right here. You're not going to do that. And then the other thing is, like, the chances, like, if you do have some expired meat or something, like, do you really want to take a chance of killing the most famous person on the planet right now? <laughs> no, not at all. So they didn't do it on purpose. There's no way. There was five guys trying to get a, a pizza box signed by the greatest basketball player of all time. And Jordan got sick because he ate an entire freaking pizza while he had the flu. And that put on top of each other made it pretty darn bad. <laughs> um, he probably, every step, he was worried he was going to, you know, uh, need to change shorts. But uh, <laughs> but that's just, you know, that was a mistake that he made. That was not the flu game. That was not the food poisoning game. He ate an entire pizza by himself at 10 p.m. and then couldn't handle it. Uh, another fun story about that game that has nothing to do with the, the flu game, like the flu or food poison or whatever. It's more about the shoes Michael Jordan's wearing. And I think we may have talked about this before, but the shoes he was wearing, he never got, to, he wore those like, black and red Jordan Air Jordan 1s, I believe they were. He only wore them like in one game. And those shoes, the specific ones that were on his feet for the flu game, sold for $560,000 recently. And back in 2003, they sold for $104,000 by none other than the ball boy for the Utah Jazz, who would always show up. His name was Preston Thurman. He was this young ball boy who would always show up if Jordan called and said he wanted to get some shots up. He would come unlock the doors and come shoot for him throughout their, his career when he came to Utah. And so Jordan gave him the shoes after the game. Darren, According to Darren Ravel, who does kind of sports business, he says if those shoes were sold today, they would sell for over a million dollars on the open market. So oh, Wow. Wow. That's just, just because it's Michael Jordan, they've only been worn once, and it's the flu game. So, well, and the, the, that just blew my mind. The price on Michael Jordan memorabilia probably has never been higher right this second either. So, true, yeah, yeah. Um, is that all? Do y'all have anything else about the flu game in particular? Because I, I thought we might get too old. Dennis Rodman gave us another great story <laughs> in this in this episode. Let's let's move on. I, I want to yeah hear. move on. Good. Yeah, Rodman really skipped practice after Game Three of the NBA Finals to go to Detroit and wrestle with Hulk Hogan. Are you kidding me? I mean, also, can you blame him? But, <laughs> but what? That's insane. That is insane. <laughs> Rodman is insane. I yeah. mean, that's yeah. the thing. He is He's the most Rodman boy. person that's ever lived. <laughs> well, and that's why if they would have got rid of, even if if they would have got rid of Phil Jackson, I just don't think. Nobody else, nobody else is putting up with that shit from Dennis Rodman. Phil Jackson, I think, was like, well, yeah, but he's going to come back for game four and probably grab 18 rebounds and get four <laughs> steals and four blocks. So I, it pisses me off, but whatever. Um, well, at that point really, in the finals, what do you do? I mean, you know, you just... You're not suspending them, are you? You're not suspend them. Them. <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just hope you get through the finals with these. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn it, Dennis. <laughs> and you just hope you win it. Yeah. Um, he was fine. I love the, the scene of him skipping the media. And so he's running through the back and you see all these guys with cameras sprinting after him. That was so funny. But the NBA fined him $20,000 for skipping the media session. But instead, what he got paid for was that wrestling event where he got paid $250,000 from the WWE plus a private jet to use to go to Detroit and back. So as Ron Harper has said, quote, 
I think that makes Dennis a good businessman because he ended up making some money off of it. Mm. And a little backstory. Did y'all know that at the time Rodman was actually feuding with Carl Malone in the WWE? And on July 12th, just a few weeks after that finals ended, they actually wrestled in the ring. That WWE. sounds familiar. I was thinking I might've had a fever dream and like it was celebrity death match, but like, yeah, no, it really, wow. there's like a WWE documentary just about Rodman and his wrestling career. <laughs> and, and Malone and him wrestled July 12th, literally weeks after the finals. Wow. So, <laughs> I just can't believe like now the Patriots were worried, like Rob Gronkowski might do a wrestling event and Rodman doesn't even tell him what just skips it. Just and goes. <laughs> someone over the top of the head with a chair. Yeah. I mean, and he's probably drunk while doing it because he's Dennis Rodman. <laughs> oh man, that story, that story, I, it cracked me up. Um, the other thing, talk, now moving off from this finals, is the only person in this ten-part documentary who's more confident or as confident as Michael Jordan has to be Reggie Miller. Reggie right? Miller, my yeah. man. <laughs> I mean, Reggie Miller clearly was not Michael, but the fact that he really thought—I think he truly thought. We're gonna retire. The, we're gonna retire Michael. We're gonna go beat Michael, and he almost did. He, yeah. he took him to seven. I mean, he wouldn't Michael would have came back? There's no way Michael would have went out losing to to Reggie Miller. He would have found a way to come back. But that I, I think it kind of gets lost how good Reggie Miller was at times. Pops like he wasn't the best defender. He wasn't the best passer. He wasn't the best rebounder. But he was just a damn good player and wasn't scared of anybody. He wasn't scared of anybody, and his confidence was off the charts. I mean, he just believed if he had the ball in the last minute, he was going to make the shot. And well, I did too. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> and he did more often than not. Uh, <laughs> I, and we talked about good sports docs. That another one is him. That yeah, that, with him in the Knicks, kind of, and the different stuff he had mm-hmm. with Starks. I just, I, I. I, Reggie Miller also does a great job in that doc and in this one. He's a good job of storytelling and he makes it interesting. Like he talks about, and he's right. He definitely pushed. We talked about pushed off. He ran straight into Jordan's chest <laughs> yeah, and shoved the <laughs> shit out of him. Yeah. And that's what created the separation. And, and, and Reggie Miller will say, he's like, I um gave a, a good shove to the chest. <laughs> That created yeah. a little bit of separation. I got to tell you, I always liked Reggie Miller though. I mean, he was, he, he, I guess he reminded me a little of Chris Carter in football. I mean, he was a little in your face. He was certainly confident. But I don't know. I, did, I didn't find him to be obnoxious. I think some people may have. I liked Reggie Miller. And it looked to me like there was some mutual respect afterwards between Jordan and, and Miller, the, the, the quick yeah. little shot they showed in the documentary. Well, because I think Jordan, even when he's annoyed by you, like if, if like like what we talked about, and we're about to get on to Steve Kerr, but like if you'll stand up to him, I think he respects you. He's like, because if you're afraid of him, he's just like, oh, you're a punk. He's gonna man. run over you. He'll run. Yeah, but no, the fact, like even that. if he does beat you, he's like, hey, you had the balls though. You you came at the king. You missed, but you came at the king. <laughs> I, I respect it at least. I I just think Reggie Miller gets remembered as oh, he was just a, a good three point shooter who had a, who was kind of clutch. And I, I think some people who just see some of the highlights. And they look at his stats because he averaged 18 points for his career. It wasn't crazy. But if you drop Reggie Miller in today's NBA, he had, he oh. shot 4.7 threes per game back then. Now he would shoot 9 or 10 a game. He probably would average – he would have a career – I don't know if he'd be better than Steph Curry because Steph Curry was better probably creating his own shot. But he would just have a much better mm-hmm. – he would be looking at him in a different light, I think, if he played in a game, in a game yeah. like today where you had the freedom to shoot more. 
Because you just didn't shoot like that back then. You just didn't. It's a good point. True. Yep. Very true. Um, a story I didn't know, and I thought it was really telling, and we talked about this pops earlier. Um, MJ had the last say in this doc, and MJ having the ego that he has, you know that this was going to be a glowing remembrance, mostly of Michael Jordan, how great he was. But the fact on the final night, he because he had the he he got to see it and he gave the okay that he was willing to let them do a huge feature on Steve Kerr, his career, his father, his past and stuff. And he was okay with it. And Jason Hare and that group did a, that was awesome. Like I was really touched by that, that whole thing. Like I really didn't know that story about Steve Kerr. And I thought that kind of, even though they mentioned Steve Kerr, it said that him and Jordan didn't necessarily talk about their fathers. There was clearly some sort of bond between them two. And that whole little scene, and then to end it where they ended it, where that whole little feature part where they basically showed like Jordan said, you better be ready. They're going to double me. You be ready. And Kerr was like, I'm there. I'll be that guy. And he He's was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it funny? Kerr even admitted, I was so excited. I was yelling it. You know, you could even <laughs> see Jordan kind of being sly about it. Just be ready. Be ready. <laughs> well, my, my favorite moment maybe in the entire documentary was at that, uh, that championship, uh, uh, parade or whatever, where they were up on the stage and, uh, Kerr was talking about how, um, you know, so Phil went up to Jordan and said, you're going to have to shoot it. And Jordan just didn't feel comfortable. So, you know, I was like, I'll <laughs> bail him out again. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Good stuff. Um, well, and Kev, I to mean, your I- point real quick that uh, that they that Jordan did give time to Steve Kerr. I mean, he didn't even give his kids more than three seconds in the entire 10 episodes. Right. So <laughs> that's something. <laughs> well, I, and I think there's something too. Like Jason Harris, like we want to do a, a big thing on Kerr because we think it's it's worth doing and it'll be good. And Jordan's like, no, yeah, Kerr deserves it. Kerr, I, I think he was down with it. And I mean, pops, you just you really like Kerr, didn't you? Still to this well, day, look, I mean, look, oh, look at Kerr. What what? So he played with Jordan and and he hit that shot at the free throw line that time, won that game, and then I think in the next game he hit five threes or something like that. I mean, several. And then look what he's become. I think in yeah. retrospect, look what Steve Kerr is today. And look at who he pl- He played with Jordan, for Phil Jackson. He played with Tim Duncan, for Greg Popovich, coached with Greg Popovich, and now is our coach. Coaches one, he uh, might have coached the best team we've ever seen. Arguably one of the best one teams of ever. Uh, so I think Kerr has been fortunate. Um, obviously, in some of the doc, you know, his parents were very – academically minded, uh, intellectual type people. And I think that was the atmosphere that he came from. And he's used that with some of his athletic gifts, but Kerr's used taking the best from the, he's been fortunate to be around such fantastic people, fascinating coaches. And he has taken that and used that in a way that, uh, it makes him, I think he's on a level to me now with the Phil Jacksons and the Greg Popoviches in basketball, perhaps the Belichicks, if you want to put them just the amazing coaches. Um, well, and I think, and he learned a lot from those guys, but I think I, it's been said before, well, how good was Phil Jackson? Was the triangle good or was Michael Jordan good? I mean, he went, he won a lot of rings, but he did win it with great teams, but it does take, and you, this doc did a good job of showing Phil Jackson does a great job of managing because you're managing a lot of egos mm-hmm. and different Rodman. personalities. And yeah, I mean, look at what he's dealing with. And I think Kerr does that thing, did that same thing where you're dealing when he was at the Warriors or when the Warriors were at their peak. He's got Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. All these guys have big egos. Durant wants to be the best player of all time. I mean, he, that's what he's going for, at least. And Curry's still seen as the guy in that locker room because he's Curry. 
And and he finds a way to manage that locker room to end up they almost put up the best season of all time. They won the most games and before that was before Durant, but still just he I think it you you have to be a great coach, you have to have great talent, obviously. You look at Bill Belichick, he had right. to have Tom Brady, but you also have to be smart with it. And I think Kerr I don't know if he's quite there yet. I think he'll get there though, because I do think he is that good of a coach, Pops. And I, I think this kind of gave us insight into it really let us get into Kerr's life and kind of he let us kind of really get into his soul a little bit, and it was really touching. It was yeah. a really good little piece. And doing a little reading on his dad, his Malcolm Kerr is supposed. I mean, he's a lot of people really applaud him for the work he did with different relations with the Middle East and stuff. I I didn't know him or his story at all, but the fact that that all happened was just I can't even imagine. I mean, that's just yeah. wild. I just, I remember when that happened, and I pro- I knew a little bit of who Steve Kerr was, and I remember when it, like his dad was killed, you know, in Beirut. Beirut and I I don't know from that time I've always paid attention to Steve Kerr a little bit and that's probably why I started liking him and he's always handled himself with class he's he reminds me of uh of uh, Steve Nash a little bit when yeah. you, when you ask Steve Kerr a question he answers it honestly openly like he's got nothing to hide and and I've just always appreciated that authenticity that he that he yeah. brings to everything he does yeah um and then the the episode kind of as towards the end of it, we actually I don't know I've never seen anything like this with MJ talking about it to this extent, but we get another iPad scene. Yep. And this one is of MJ looking at Reinsdorf's explanation of why the team got broken up, and basically his point was you couldn't bring back all those all those guys Pippen, Kerr, Rodman, Harper under the salary. They're they're just their market price would be too high. Pippen made, I mean, Jordan made those incredulous faces as he was watching it. That was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And then Jordan said, basically said he wanted to run it back. I mean, I, I don't think we've ever heard for sure. I, I think it was yeah. kind of thought he wanted to run it back. But he blatantly said, I wanted a chance at seven, and we didn't get that chance. And even brought up a good point. I do think Pippen wanted out bad. Pippen was ready to get a new contract. He, was, he liked Michael. But it would be, Michael has a point. If you go... To Pippen and Kerr and Harper and Robin and say, "Hey, let's all sign one-year deals. I'll sign a one-year deal with you, and let's go get the seventh ring." It's going to be hard to walk away from that. I don't know. I we'll don't see. know. I don't know because I think I disagree with Jordan. Um, okay. Uh, because I think Pippen would not be on that team. There's no way he uh, almost left the team earlier that year over uh, you know a surgery and a contract dispute. Like um, he was he was in year six of. Uh, six championships and was willing to leave the team then. So I don't know that he'd come back for another year on his salary that he was getting um, to play well, and another year for Reinsdorf and for Kraus, you know? To your point, he already dealt with one injury. This is not a young Pippen at this point. And we we talked last week about all the games that him and Jordan, the mileage that they had played together. Yeah. And and he's going through the bad back in that well, that's finals. What, yeah, he's looking at this bad back. I don't know if I want to pe- play for whatever the 116th best salary in the NBA with this back right now. Like, I just don't think I'm going to yeah. do it. And so if you can't get Pippen back, then you start watching the dominoes of like, who's really willing to, to stay. I mean, uh, Kerr probably It's interesting. Does. I don't know if they win a seventh ring. If that same team comes back without Pippen. Well, well, and, they don't. and they also, they, don't. they, uh, Rodman's getting worse, right? Like he gets worse and worse as this season goes on. Who wants to be in that train wreck? I mean, Phil Jackson didn't even seem like he wanted to be in that. Well, and Rodman was exactly. a train wreck after this. Like right yeah. after this, he went. He had his little stint with the Spurs. He had a little stint with the Lakers, the Mavs. I mean, he was a train wreck after this. It's just 
the headache that wasn't worth it anymore. There's really. no seven. There's a tarnish, uh, tarnish legacy is what happens. Cause I think Duncan and Robinson still win that next championship. Um, and Jordan's trying to pull this ragtag group of whoever's left behind up with, but them. you're saying you're going to bet against Michael Jordan. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, I, I am. Yeah, <coughs> I am because I also I, think we were in a new, we were in a new world. We're, we're starting to see at that time, the, you know, you could even look at like the NBA, like before the lockout and after the lockout, and like I, the younger players did not jive with Jordan, like his his tenacity, his tyrant uh, attitude did not work well with the Wizards. Right. Like everybody on the Wizards mm-hmm. called him one of the worst teammates they'd ever played with. Um, and, and I think the young guys weren't into this. And if not enough of the old guard came back with him, then I just don't think there's any way that he would have carried a bunch of people that didn't want to take the journey with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd- no, I get what you're saying. I think you touched on, to me, the main point, and you touched on it, LJ, is Phil Jackson. I think Phil Jackson saw the difficulty with Rodman. Rodman was getting worse and worse. I think Phil Jackson, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but I got the idea he was done. I think he thought – He was done dealing with Krause in that – Well, that's the other thing. So so what's the future? If 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 Jackson's done, they're done. I mean, Well, and and then what's the future, right? Like if Jackson says, let's do one more, and then another year of, I don't care if you win 82 games, you're not going to be our coach next year. And then you either win the championship and prove him wrong and then maybe sign another one-year deal or who knows what, or you just like – uh, prove him right. And, and that sucks. So, you know, they all went out on top and I know Jordan wanted another one. I just don't think it would have happened with that team. I, I don't see any way. I think it would have been I Jordan agree. and Kerr running around in coach trying to carry the rest of, you know, the NBA. Well, it was a clean end. It was a clean stop. I think, I, I think to your point, LJ, we, we've talked at a lot about how Phil was able to manage the egos. Phil Jackson has an ego. Yeah. And, the fact that Krause openly said, you can go 82-0, and 0, Phil Jackson's not coming back. I think Phil Jackson, that's why he said it's the last dance, because he knew I, it might not be y'all's last dance. It's my last dance with yeah. y'all, because I'm not coming back to work under Krause. I'm just not going to do <laughs> and it. And don't you think, Phil Jackson, when they were kind of having the little parade, you know, when they were doing the, you know, when you talked about what uh, Steve Kerr said, when Phil Jackson got to talk and he mentions Krause, I think he <laughs> did that on purpose to yeah. get the booze. I think yeah. – I, yeah. I think that was Phil kind of right. needling him more mm-hmm. than trying to give him some honest credit. And we already know Phil Jackson had that contract the year before where somehow he was able to negotiate with other teams while still under contract with the Bulls. So I think his agent and him were already kind of thinking around, yeah. and they probably eyeballed the Lakers already and thought, well, even if this maybe this Bulls team has one more year, they don't have a lot, and – I don't want to be with this train wreck when it does happen. So well, and I think it was we, a clean a clean ending. We also I, kind of I, got I to think... see too that Reinsdorf was, I mean, clearly on the same page as Kraus, right? Like he's talking about how they didn't have the budget to bring these guys back. They were thinking the same thing, and there's this this huge disconnect from on court talent to off court administration, and there was just no fixing that. Like you were not going to get Reinsdorf and Kraus to decide the team needed to be a certain way and and you were not going to get, you know, Jordan to agree with what they wanted. You know, it's just it, that that team was never the 99 Bulls were not going to happen. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. All that said, if I was Kraus or Reinsdorf, if I'm the owner of that team, I don't want to be the guy that tells Michael Jordan you're not going to go for 7. I would have went and talked to Michael and and Phil. I'd have got him in a room and said Let's talk, but and I don't think that happened. I don't think that. Well, but, and what it would have taken is LJ right. It would have taken Pippen, and Pippen was mm. gonna get. He had to get a renegotiated contract. Yeah. And what that would have taken 
is Michael Jordan to concede and go, I'll take less. Because Michael Jordan, we talk about it. Like he mentioned, I, I signed a lot of one-year deals. Yeah, he did, but they were all for about $33 million. He wasn't taking pay cuts. Yeah, and got paid while he was playing he was baseball. Getting, um, yeah, he was getting paid the whole but, time. But also, um, then while they negotiate that, then, you know, is Rodman going to want his bigger piece of the pie too once he sees what Pippen signs for? I mean, is everyone going to want a little bit or bigger piece of the it's pie? The disease, it's the disease of more that coaches talk about yeah. with the championship. Everyone wants a little more. That's they, why you if you get second, if you get second place in your sports league, you're screwed because your players have proven they're worth what way more than they get paid, but you also still didn't get the ring, you know? So, um, yeah, it's I. There's no way. There's no way. I think it ended up hindsight being 2020. It was as Dad mentioned a clean ending for what could have been a messy. And Jordan even mentioned he didn't want to have that messy ending where he got carried off the court. It yeah. ended up being Jordan now to this day can still say I would have won a seventh ring whether he would have or not. He can still say it. I think he won't say it, but that's probably more valuable to him than losing a seventh. Like now he can always say I was on top. I left yeah. on top. Yep. Like you couldn't beat me except for that one year that I was a baseball player on a basketball court. That's the only yeah. year he got beat in that eight year stretch, you know? And then the other thing this doc did for me, LJ, you've mentioned multiple times how the soundtrack's really good and how you've been jamming mm-hmm. the soundtrack. I have two artists now. Well, two, uh, an artist in a band that I'm now listening to this week. All right. One is going to be Kenny Lattimore, <laughs> where Jordan's, <laughs> I love the flex. It was a sick flex by Jordan to be like, Oh, what am I listening to? Oh, that's that new Kenny Lattimore. It's not out yet. You haven't heard you it. Know, <laughs> you know who I am. I'm my, you know, I'm Michael. But then, so I did throw on a little Kitty Lattimore before we got on, and I he he kind of has a little bop to. I get why Jordan's head was kind of grooving a little bit. But then the other one, and it's how they ended the podcast. Or I mean, the, 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 not the podcast, the documentary <laughs> with uh, what is it? Pearl Jam, yeah. Present Tense is that what the song's called? Yeah, I didn't I know what so. it, I'd never heard that before. But I was like, dang, this Good. is kind of jamming. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, man, and then I went back and listened well. to the song with the lyrics and stuff too, yeah. and like it really fit where it was at and. I don't know a whole lot of Pearl Jam. I know a lot of people value him as like the best man of all time or up there. I'm going to give a little Pearl Jam a listen to. I'll say, I don't know that they're the best band of all time or anything like that, but severely underrated. Crazy underrated. I just know the people that love them. Love Love them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Love them. I I think they're the best grunge band. I think they're the best band to come out of, you know, the Pacific Northwest in the nineties. And that's including, you know, like Nirvana and, um, that whole crew. So, oh, we also finally got the Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> little little scene. That was pretty funny. And all of Twitter had the same joke, and it was of what's it, what Leo from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's pointing at the screen. <laughs> and it was like Leo when he sees Leo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was that was pretty funny to see to see old young DiCaprio there in the locker room. That was that was neat. Was there any other thoughts? Uh, parting thoughts on the doc? I think there's one thing more we should cover, and that is you've probably seen now who's better, Jordan or LeBron. And and there's two things that I'm a Jordan guy, but there's two things that I have issue with. Okay. It was like Jordan won every category that they. Oh, had. afterward they yeah. did on Sports Center. Yeah, 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 they did on Sports Center, and so. Better passer, Jordan wins 59 to 41. I don't know about that. I think that's a very debatable to begin with. And then I think even more so, who do you trust more to throw you the ball? Oh, I mean, Jordan won that. Jordan won that. No. 57 Jordan to won everything. He LJ, won Jordan every single everything. category, every category. Good Most Lord. likely to throw me the ball. LeBron might throw me the ball. I don't think Michael's throwing me the ball. He, Never. He'd be like, I'd be Never. like Kobe. He likes it. Go get a rebound is what he'd tell me. <laughs> well, in some of the categories, it was like a blowout for Michael Jordan. 77%. Like one of them was like better teammate. I understand Jordan might get you six rings. 
LeBron, I think LeBron got Tristan Thompson a hundred million dollar contract. So <laughs> Pippen was the hundred sixteenth highest paid player in the league, and he was the number two. That was um, had to be recency bias watching this doc. And then it like it was be. a better, better uh, I, 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 something about carry the way off carry themselves off the court or better off the court. And I mean. I'm not getting a who's a better person, but I mean, it was like going away at Jordan and Jordan's like notable for possibly having a gambling issue and, and maybe being an, an annoying person. And LeBron's open in high school. You know, so that was something that, that like I, I had like a visceral reaction to when I, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Andrew Kramer or Susie Colbers. One of those reporters uh, said something along the lines of, um, that Jordan did this, you know, before like Twitter and stuff like that. So like his celebrity was all about his game and stuff like that. And I, I don't know, it kind of sounded like they were saying like, and so therefore he is like the best baller of all time. But like, you got to consider that like your news source back in that day was like one of 30 channels or something like that. And 25 of them were talking about Jordan. So like nowadays when the, when the whole world is watered down by tweets and Instagram posts and stuff like that for someone like LeBron to be even near his level is saying that I think he's the more famous of the two. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a big part in this where some people were upset with Michael Jordan for, he didn't have enough response. Like when there was the, the different, the, the guy running for office in yeah. Chicago and he didn't have, as no, much it was in a, response. Carolina, but yeah. And, Carolina, okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And nowadays, if anything happens in the political realm, like people on literally people on ESPN, like talking heads will be like, I'm waiting to see what LeBron's response is to this yeah. police brutality scene or just anything. It's like social media, I think helps Michael not having it because yeah. if social media, if he would have had social media, we'd be like, yeah, wait, he's out all the time. Like now we, we're like, we put every athlete under a microscope and we're on every single move they make. Yeah. Whereas before you could slip to Atlantic city and maybe not even get noticed except for one time in his career. I bet it yeah. wasn't, the only I bet time. that wasn't the only time. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. so right. <laughs> and then something me and dad brought up. I, I think Jordan, this showed me Jordan is like, as far as just being a winner and the best career, he, he, he showed me he's above Michael, like above LeBron, like that final 42 seconds against the jazz. LeBron doesn't have that in his arsenal. I don't think, I mean, yeah, he had, he did beat the Warriors. They came back from three one, so there is that. But I I think what we saw from this documentary is we saw Jordan was willing to give up everything outside of basketball to be the best basketball player. Like, did we see his family at all? Not really. like like you said, LJ. We saw two seconds of his sons, and even even all the 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 film that they have, we have like one little scene where he's playing basketball with his boys when they're younger. And I'm not saying he did the wrong thing. Like his sons seem happy. I follow one of them on Twitter a lot. And he's like, there's not like hard feelings, I don't think. But I think LeBron was not willing to, like he's been very involved in his kids' lives. And he talks about his kids' lives all the time and his wife and stuff. And he is involved in different political aspects. And I think LeBron wasn't willing to go, I'm going to just cancel out everything to be the best basketball yeah. player. And Maybe he maybe he regrets it. I don't know, but well, I, I just think that's the difference in the two guys. That's an interesting me. perspective. One is a basketball player that's also mostly human, and the other one is a human that's mostly a basketball player. And uh, you yeah. know, it just depends on who you want to be in the world. And I think you see two different paths. And I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong, yeah, but it, just, it, it, is it what ended it is. up being what paved the way where they are. I, yeah, exactly. I think they're both can end up being one and two of best all time. Yeah. But after watching that, I will say it's hard. It's going to be hard to argue that LeBron's a better, per, better basketball player on the court than Michael Jordan. If yeah. you want to make other arguments, you can, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. So, 
Either way, the dog was awesome. I'm glad we got the five weeks of watching it. Yeah. It was great. I'm glad they moved it up to let us see it. Did you know they didn't finish episode 10 until a week before it aired? They were still working on it up until that weekend before it aired. The I didn't know that, but I believe that. That's awesome. Seven and eight. Yeah. So yeah. Jason here did a great job. No I kidding. really liked it. It was it was fun. I'm glad ESPN pushed it forward. And now I'm ready for the next doc. What's next? We got we need okay. If you could get a doc like that on one more team or player. Hmm. Or just another way. Like, I'm not saying this is a one time forever, but just you get to choose a team or player. I was going to say my, my, like my next thought was like, let's follow the torch. Right. And then we like follow the the Spurs and Popovich's teams. But that might be the most boring documentary ever made. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that would be that boring. Might be boring. Think, yeah. It's probably Shaq and Kobe. Right. Like that's probably. the. Well, I've seen a lot of people mention Tom Brady. Oh, and the Patriots I, I don't run. I mean, yeah, I know you don't like Tom Brady, uh, well, I just but. I also don't see that being a fun documentary. I mean, it's similar to the Spurs where it's like, oh, I mean, we're going to watch him eat weird foods and like there might be some cool scandals every now and again. But like unless it's just following Belichick on like if we've got some if we've got some footage that Belichick didn't know that they got, then I'm interested. But otherwise, I don't care. I just can't imagine that being any good. Just in mm-hmm. general, a doc on Kobe would be great. A yeah. doc on Shaq would be great. So a doc following both of them kind of would be really cool. There's another one I'm thinking pops. But I wanted to see if you had one, because I think you'll like this thought. Well, what comes to mind is what, the and I mentioned this before, the two championships, you know, the, the Houston Rockets repeated in between those two three-peats with Akeem Olajuwon. Now they yeah. did it with Jordan out. I guess Jordan was in for that few games and then went out in, yeah. that, in that deal. And then Shaq lost to Akeem. But I would be interested to see – I would like to go back and see those teams. You know, who was on those teams and how do they played. I, I don't know if a documentary – and people may not be Pippen as interested in me. Pippen went to the me. Rockets right after – didn't Pippen go to the Rockets? After yeah. 98, yes, after yeah. 98. But but so I would kind of be interested to go look back at that because I do remember Akeem playing David Robinson and schooling him. I mean, yeah. took him – Well, and at that time, I've heard a lot of legends that the, like they've – when talking about Akeem, they're like, oh, I know I had a shot at Akeem and he – took me behind the woodshed. I, a lot of a lot of really good big men have conceded that, yeah, he he just dominated me that time. And you don't get a, a, a legend of the game willing to say on camera, yeah, he just he just outdid me. And I've heard multiple people say that about Akeem. Plus, I just know how much you liked Akeem. Yeah, yeah. so that came to mind. What, what did you think, Kevin? The And, and this is going to sound biased because I'm a Cowboys fan, but following the 90s Cowboys, Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, okay. Emmitt Smith. It wouldn't be boring. Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson. It would, would not be boring. Be boring. <laughs> I think that could be super – one, because like like we just saw with this 90s Bulls, there's a lot that – even someone who I like to think that I've really tried to keep up with you know, some of the history, there was so much in this I didn't know. There's got to be so much in that Cowboys stand. Yeah. And like you said – there's no way it's boring. No Michael Irvin will not let that happen. <laughs> and you got Deion Sanders is going to come in there. You got the whole rift between Jimmy Johnson and Charles Jerry Haley. Oh my God. Oh Lord. Uh, I think that right there would be, I don't know if there's any behind the scenes footage of it. Like they had of this final year with the Bulls. but if they do, if there is, they probably can't be. show and it on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they showed a lot. They dropped a lot of F. Well, yeah. No, there's going to be more HBO. That has to be an HBO yeah. series. The hardest <laughs> knocks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that that's that's definitely what I want to see. Um, I'd watch that for but sure. But yeah, good docs. I might just go on a run of docs. We actually have one we're going to get to. Uh, not a doc, well, it's kind of a, do, a docu series, but we'll get to it in a minute on Waco. But last few sports topics I had. This is getting off of uh, the last dance stuff. But I recently saw. And I don't know if you've seen this. If not, I'm hoping to get your guess. But the top three selling jerseys in the NFL right now have been released by NFLShop.com. I have a Could bet on number guess. one. 
Could you? What's your guess? Uh, TB Tampa Bay twelve. Number three. What? Okay. Yep. Wow. That's who I thought would be number one. I got a guess. Okay. Uh, uh, Christian. Uh, the running back at McCaffrey, uh, Carolina. McCaffrey. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey. Nope. No, he was not the top three. Okay. Huh. Do y'all want another guess? Or Odell Beckham? I, 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 Odell Beckham? Is no, he still no. up there? I'll throw you a hint. Number one and two is actually the same player, their home and away jersey. No. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Nope, that's that's not a bad guess. That's a good guess. Fiddle. No, that's a bad guess. Nope. I kind of thought possibly Lamar Jackson, but it's not even Lamar Jackson. Tua Tungabalua no. with the teal and the white jersey is number one and number two with the Dolphins. Wow. I would now, not have guessed that. Would not. I don't know. I don't know if it has to do with a big Alabama following. Do people really just? I mean, the Dolphins' colors are kind of cool. Maybe he has a huge Hawaiian following. Some of it helps that he's a rookie, and so you don't have that jersey. But still, yeah. above Tom Brady blew my mind. Uh, I did not well, think yeah, he'd be above. Not the many new people already have a Tom Brady uh, Buccaneers jersey either. So that's crazy. Yeah, I just. I saw that and I was like, "That's gonna. It's got to blow their mind as much as it blew mine." Wow. And I just couldn't believe it. Tua and Teal is number one. Tua in white is number two, followed by wow. Tom Brady. I will wow. say, I, I've always loved the Miami Dolphins colors. They have got some yeah. sweet colors. That teal colors. is a cool color. And the orange little in there. I mean, yeah, I like the Dolphins yeah. colors. They're it's better than the Rams' color. new uniforms. Yeah, well, <laughs> the Rams look like they like got Best Buy to make their new jerseys or something. <laughs> the Geek Squad. <laughs> <laughs> um, this isn't uh, live football, but we had a little action in some virtual football. And LJ, I thought you might oh, find this interesting. I already know this. The the Madden Championship was recently held. Yep. And the winner, Pops, was a guy by the name Radel, Radel Joke Brito. He goes by Joke is his nickname. He's a 26-year-old who won this year's uh, championship winning $65,000. And he did so all without throwing a single pass. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. He, uh, he actually so, he put his punter in as his quarterback at the beginning of every game. So he like was never even tempted to pass. <laughs> so what the way it works pops is it's like a salary cap. They did it where you, you, you choose a salary cap for your team, like a fantasy draft, almost like the way you would do a, a daily fantasy football. Where right. You get, like, right. Patrick Mahomes is really expensive or you can get a cheaper quarterback. So he decided one, his nickname's joke. So maybe he thought it would just be funny, but also he thought I'm just not going to spend much on a quarterback and I'll build a really good defense, good O-line, good running back. And he literally didn't spend anything on quarterback. He did not buy a quarterback. And as LJ alluded to, he put Tressway in <laughs> the the Washington R words punter as his quarterback, <laughs> and just built an amazing defense and won the championship seventeen to zero by running the ball every single time. Well, now it, this is causing a big controversy in the Madden world, okay? Because a lot of people say it's not because he's really good and was able to build the defense. That's one thing, but a lot of people say this new Madden. And a lot of people have said since the last three or four Maddens, it's very glitchy. And if you just learn how to run the right way, it's not realistic anymore. And you can just run. Like even if people put 11 in the box, you still cannot stop it. And so a lot of Madden users say this just shows how terrible the game is. Either way, as someone who's played a lot of Madden in my day, that's a sick flex to say, I'm going to go to the tournament and not throw well, at all. It's also it's also uh, smart budgetarily, right? Like if you're thinking about you've got 11 guys on your offense that you've got to you, you got a budget for getting the best guy at each position. If you're going for a pass heavy offense or a well-balanced offense, you're going to have to pay every position pretty well, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're just going for right. a run heavy offense, 
You need the best run blocking tight end, and then you know the the six guys. Your receivers can be anybody. They can be good tight ends, probably. As his if you're not throwing to him, hell, you get you get the you get the like eighth tight end on the list, and he's your starting receiver. You don't care who your quarterback is. You spend nothing on that. Who's probably going to be the highest budget draw. So you really can spend a lot of money on your offense. You wouldn't have normally had if you're deciding that you don't need four of the 11 guys on your team. You know, I'm just saying it's one thing to spend less on a quarterback. Like maybe you get a backup quarterback, you get Chase Daniel or something just to like get a quarterback or something. The fact that he went with no quarterback at all. So even if he got in a bind, he still just got Tress way back there, a punter. (laughs) He's still running and it worked out. I don't know if it has more to do with showing the game's glitchiness or not, but I, as I said, that's just like, just just if I'm playing a buddy, like me and LJ are playing, I'm like, I won't throw this entire game. I don't know if I, I, I wouldn't be able to pull that off. He did it for a whole tournament against the best of the best. Yeah. And won, so shout out to old joke, and, and I bet a lot of people felt like a joke after getting beat by him. Hmm. Well, Fascinating. The other thing, though, is if it's that broken, right? If he won 17-0, to zero, why didn't the other team just run the ball, right? Like, why is he the only one playing that game? If everyone knows, well, that this I, is maybe broken. more people will now. But <laughs> well, he had a hell of a defense. Obviously, he had yeah, the that's best true. defense. That's a good point. So. He, he said he put he put the most of his money on defense and offensive line, and I don't even know who his running back was. He might have if there if it is as glitchy as people say. Maybe he just got like a fast running back who he liked. Because if you have that great of blocking, you don't need Christian McCaffrey. Running. I mean, that's always how Madden's been, right? Is you take the the outliers in one stat, and that's going to be the guy that you ride all the way. You, True. you don't want True. somebody that's the most balanced running back. You want somebody that's got a 99 speed or a 99 spin move or something like that. So, yep. Um, all right. Now let's get to, we've talked about it before and we're finally going to do it. We are reviewing the docuseries Waco from Netflix and maybe we'll probably just dive into a little bit of just Waco in general. Yeah. But the, the docuseries basically details from right before the ATF started investigating the Koresh family or the Koresh home house. The Branch Davidian. want to call it. In, uh, yeah, the Mount Branch Caramel. Davidian. Yeah. In Mount Caramel. And then when basically what started it and then the 51 day, was it 51 day standoff? 51 day standoff. I think so. Yeah. Up until the, the, the big fire and everything. Uh, in total, 76 people did uh, die in that house, including David Koresh and 25 children. Some uh, ATF members, I believe, also got killed. And a lot got severely injured. Um, just uh, initial thoughts. I'll say watching it, it was not what I thought I remembered from it, which obviously I don't remember to happen 93 before I was born, but just <laughs> from what I, from what I thought had happened, it's not quite the same. Now I will say I'm not hundred percent sure. We still know the true story by watching that doc or even in general. I, I don't, there's regardless, there's, the story of inside, the story outside, and as with everything else, there's some middle ground. Um, what was your thoughts? Just big takeaway, L. Uh, I mean, I thought it was, a, as far as a, a show, a TV show, it was really incredible. Fantastic. Really show. well acted. Definitely worth a watch. Oh, my God. Like, it, even if you, like, have no context, it's it's still really good. I had basically no context. I mean, um, it, and it's an incredible, incredible series. Um, as far as, like, the story of, uh, you know, the Branch Davidians, um, I I realized watching that that I really knew nothing. Like, I, I knew things that, the things I knew are the things that nobody knows what's true or not. You know, like, I knew that they were this uh, awful cult that deserved the FBI's attention. And watching the show, I started to realize maybe I don't know that. And so then I started looking up more. And uh, and it's just, what, what was really interesting to me is just how little I know about um, 
that and and then you know other things like that so then you you know they bring up ruby ridge and that and it's like well i need to look up ruby ridge and learn a little bit more about that and and you start learning more about um just all of the things you know the government can be good and can be bad and 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 we never really know for sure um which one we're getting and so you know it's just interesting how much faith uh, we have to have in this entity um and i think that's what this show's about is like if you don't trust the government, then the, this can happen to you is like the way that you've got to live your life. And if you do trust the government, then these were villains who deserved it. And um, I don't know. It's just it's a really interesting story that I feel like we're, we're never going to have 100 percent of the truth on. And and uh, I don't know, it's that that makes it really engaging, but also really sad for everybody involved that we'll never know. Yeah, I read a, 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 an article on Vox. It was the 25 year anniversary of it. And it's from Tara Burton. And I, I'm not going to quote the article, but just she says one little thing in there that I think sums it up well. The story of Waco is also the story of disagreements over religious freedom, the rights and boundaries of the federal gov- government, and what it means to be a legitimate religion. I, Pops, what do you think about the show and kind of your thoughts? I, I do kind of remember when it happened, and I know that my prevailing thought when it happened was that the government was more in the wrong. Really? Uh, because it, it was, yes, that was my prevailing thought, and it seems like most of the people that i was discussing it with, and that had a lot to do with the Ruby Ridge issue, you know, and and just sometimes it, it did blow up. I, I want, I guess, this is what I want to say is, it's like most people that you see that lead uh, very religious, religious fanatical uh, organizations. He was charismatic, and I think he truly was a very charismatic, knowledgeable guy that that drew you to him. I thought that the uh, negotiator Nestler's that one of the lines really stuck out that he said to Steve, you know, his kind yeah. of second in command. He said, "Steve, why is it that all these professed messiahs always like to sleep with young girls?" And and I thought I may not be quoting that exactly, but it was something but along those yeah. lines. And it's like the guy Koresh was effed up, I think, in his head. Did he have some things right? Was he charismatic? But why did he have to, you know, nobody else could have sex but him? And he, these women were very young. Some of them were uh, young. Uh, that, that, was, that was wrong. And now, yeah. did, did we need to bust in there and stop it? I don't know. If you're having sex with underage girls, yes. Yeah, somebody well, needs think, to do something about that. I think that's one of the things that I've taken away from all my research on this. And I, and I want to make it clear to all the listeners that none of us are experts on this. And so we're yeah, kind of just fair. Point. Um, Glad if you, you know that. more than we do, like feel free to reach out or, you know, whatever. I, we're not trying to speak for the truth here. We're trying to speak for what we you're getting. Learned. What you're getting is some a group that watched this talk series. Yeah. And did a, a good this is our opinions. Yeah. <laughs> right, right um, or indifferent. But so with that in mind, um, yeah, I think that like, um, clearly he was doing bad things. There's no question about that when, when we, when it's all said and done in hindsight that, you know, obviously the, uh, sleeping with underage girls is just like atrocious. Um, but did the government need to come in with tanks and guns blazing? Um, even, no, it doesn't even matter who shot so, yeah. first. You don't need to be there in that situation, especially when, um, apparently in the two weeks before they, they started this siege, Um, they had observed him on his motorcycle and in his Camaro out on town, out on the town, out in Waco, um, at least three or four times. So it's like, you could have arrested him outside of the compound and dealt with this in a different manner completely. So that's what it says. The sheriff says he, he went into town a lot. Like he, like Koresh has even said tip, uh, Thibodeau in his book writes about how they often would go into town and play music and drink a few suds. Like they would go into town a lot. Yeah. And so if you really wanted to just arrest David Koresh, you could have. You didn't have to go 
Guns are blazing. And he should have been arrested. There's no question about it. Like, I'm not trying to, like, right. no, no one's, one's trying to defend him. And I him. think that's where I I got doing the research. I was like, oh, my gosh, David Crush didn't deserve this. But I was like, well, he. you start doing more research. And you're like, okay, there was some really shitty things going on in that house. But his congregation didn't deserve it. That's, I think, where it comes down to. And well, I think like it's probably, said, probably, to me, a fact was I think the government could have certainly handled it better. And I think that's what you're saying. I mean, they could have mm-hmm. arrested him outside. It, it was mishandled by those in authority. It yeah. was completely missing. And then I think what they do a good job in this docuseries, and I think it's part of the book written by one of the guys who was one of the lead negotiators. Mm-hmm. Uh, it what, what happened was the they were negotiating like they were dealing with some lunatic, crazy bank robber or or someone who's holding up his family. And they have like a strategy for how they deal with these people. You, hold, you wait out on them. Whereas Koresh was not that. I mean, he was, there was some, Weird things going on in his head, but he was he was patient. He was fine. He was going to sit there and just wait out. He, and they weren't ready to deal with the person of of his mindset. They and they kind of were trying to fit him a square peg into a round hole, and it wasn't working for him. And to your point, LJ, and this is something Malcolm Gladwell wrote in uh, an article for New York Times. Oh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote on this. I didn't read that. Give yeah. me a second. There's an article that he wrote from in the New Yorker, and. He just is talking about the sheer scale of the operation that the the ATF and the FBI went on. And he said, the FBI, here's his quote. The FBI assembled what has been called probably the largest military force ever gathered against a civilian suspect in American history. Ten Bradley tanks, two Abrams tanks, four combat engineering vehicles, 668 agents, in addition to the six U.S. Customs officers, 15 U.S. Army personnel, 13 members of the Texas National Guard, 31 Texas Rangers, 131 officers from the Texas Department of Public Safety, 17 from the McLennan County Sheriff's Office, Jeez. and 18 Waco Police for a total of 899 people. That wasn't necessary. And that's where we're getting to, I think. It just wasn't necessary. That didn't never should have happened in the first place. And I think you'll hear people react. And it's still interesting now. You'll find some old documentaries and still some people with the ATF and different people with the government aren't sure if anyone did anything wrong. Well, no, and, they're still kind of defending whether, you know, there, there is the question of like who shot first. Right. And, and that's like, uh, and we don't know for sure. One of the things that I did find that was like, that blew my mind was when they were basically when the branch Davidians that did survive, uh, filed civil suit against the ATF. Um, the ATF produced the evidence of one door that had no bullet holes when the branch Davidian said, we'll show the other door. Cause it was a two steel doors at the front of their account compound. And they said, we'll show the other door. And they said, well, it got lost in the fire. It's like, it's a steel door. Like, where did it? I mean, how'd you lose the steel door, but find the other one that didn't have the bullet holes in it that showed that the bullets went one way. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's, there's, there's a lot we'll never know. Right. Because I think we'll won. never know the truth. I think we'll never know the real yeah. truth of what happened there. Like the other thing and is who started the, the fire, right? And and uh, that's one of those things where I've seen uh, a lot of transcripts of audio that they had inside the house where people were talking about pouring gas cans and stuff like that. So, you know. There's I mean, audio from those milk cartons that supposedly, and it you can hear it. Like there's, it's out there. And I, there's like a documentary on like YouTube on it. And from, I think it's from uh, NBC did it or ABC maybe. But you can hear someone inside the house saying, we should have got more hay. Pour all the gasoline. David said, "Pour the gasoline." We should have got more hay in this corner. This isn't enough. That sounds pretty damning. Well, it sounds we'll like know. a group who's wanting to the house to catch on fire. Now, maybe they were thinking it'll catch on fire, so it looks like the government did it, and then we run out. Maybe they weren't expecting to get trapped in there. And was the tear gas necessary? Now, further further look. 
after after all this happened, President Bill Clinton, who was the president at the time, said he argued the FBI still had no responsibility for the death, saying, quote, I do think the United States government is responsible for the fact that a bunch of religious fanatics decided to kill themselves. There's a point in where then they show it in the docuseries where they have to go they have to go get the okay for the tear gas from that new I think it's the new attorney general or whoever it was they had to talk to. And supposedly it's still unsure what she all knew, but she was told that there wouldn't be enough tear gas to kill any of the children and and that this tear gas would not hurt anybody. It would just make them have hard breathing and they would come out. It's possible. We still don't know to this day. Did she get lied to or not? Did she authorize this without knowing how much, what kind of tear gas they were going to use? The docuseries does make it point to the, the Davidians were mostly innocent, at least in the death. We, like you said, LJ, I don't, I don't think we'll ever know for sure because they might have started that. Well, and I wanted, there's something I wanted to add to that, LJ. You know, there was a psychiatrist. They sent the kids out. Remember, they sent the kids out early. And and one quick digression on that. I was shocked. I thought, as a parent, am I going to send my small children out and not go with them? Hell no. I mean, there's just no way I'm going to send my five year old kids out and not go out with them. There's no way. So then, secondly, I mean, this Bruce Perry was a psychiatrist. Uh, I read this on an ABC News website, which of an article a long time ago. He was the child psychologist that interviewed the children and was with the children. And one girl, and they, her name was Janessa, drew a picture of the compound engulfed in flames with steps leading to heaven. Wow. He said, what does that mean? And she said, you'll find out. Wow. So this was a young girl that was out of the house earlier that yeah. drew this picture. So it, that, it does lead me to believe there was some Davidians setting the fire, perhaps. Maybe. I, well, and and they the the way they did the initial siege going in there, just guns a-blazing, they completely played right into what David Koresh had been preaching to these people about over the and over seal, again. Yeah. That, yeah, about how they're going to come, the, uh, that they're going to come with guns and it's going to be war. And if they would if they would have just handled that differently, maybe the other Davidians would have been like, Hey, maybe we should come out. But since it all had so far, Koresh, I mean, if if you're already believing Koresh and then that happens, that just kind of solidified your beliefs, probably. Well, yeah. I think that's the thing that that maybe I take away from this the most is when you label a group a cult, then all members of said cult are expendable and whatever it takes to get them out of this world. But the definition of a cult is just based off of like what you'd like or don't like. You know, there's, I don't think yeah, there's the, a good we definition We use the word cult. cult just to say that's a religious group that doesn't, that I don't agree with right. almost. I mean, that's kind of what we use the word cult. For. Yeah, exactly. And so then that makes them, once you have decided, once we as a society has decided to define this fringe group as a cult, they are worth killing, you know, and that's, that's what happens a lot. Um, and sometimes um, there is merit and sometimes there is not, but I think that that label is not a useful one at all. You know what I mean? Agree. No, agree completely. Now, they had a really cool line that I thought made a good point, and it was it was of and I don't remember their exact names, but it was basically the guy who was the tact overall the tactic stuff who was going to play the loud music yeah. and was wanting to go in and set up Mitch, everything. I think was his name on the thing. Yeah, he says at one point, and this isn't a quote, but it's something along the lines of they outnumber. Well, how do you think we enforce the law? They outnumber law enforcement, just people in general outnumber law enforcement five thousand to one. So we are able to enforce the law by fear. They fear us if we let these people just hang out then who's to stop the next person you know who if we don't go and force our our bill and so i get where he's coming from but at the same time you don't i don't know i i, I got so torn on that because i get if no if no one's afraid of cops then they'll start just shooting at cops all the time but also cops 
still there are laws, there are rights that people have. Yeah, I don't know. That was that was an interesting line to me. That it I, was that really kind of yeah, it stuck with me. And then uh, just looking at some stuff that happened after Waco, two years after Waco, the the group the militia groups in the U.S. grew by nearly three hundred percent, with more than four hundred across the United States, because people were saying like the the head of the the one of the militia groups, I, I thought I wrote his name down, but now I can't seem to find it. But he basically was saying, if Waco happens again, we better be ready. And that was his big preaching was if they try to do this again, even if that group, we don't believe what that group believed in, they didn't deserve to just get yeah. killed is what his, and so he had something to preach on. So it's counterproductive. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then the OKC stuff, yeah, Timothy the guy McVeigh. that did the OKC, Timothy McVeigh, who did the OKC bombing was at Waco. He saw, not inside or anything, but he was outside and saw what happened. And this was kind of his response. He did it on the four year anniversary of Waco yeah. and said it was his response. Yep. I, it was counterintuitive to what the government wanted it to be. It, it it almost fueled the fire for more groups to rise up against law enforcement and government. Yeah. yeah. Had y'all ever heard the story of Clive and Bundy in 2014? The name's familiar. So I, I it was on the deep dive of this. He kind of stemmed from Waco where the Borough of Land Management tried to, he's from Nevada and they tried to oh, see right. yes. heard from Clive Bundyville. and Bundy. Yeah. Who for 20 years refused to pay to have his cattle graze on public land. And uh, the video went viral of, of when the cops came to shut us down and come to take his cattle and hundreds of members of different militia groups showed up because in the quote, they said the, the head of the militia group said, we didn't have to agree with the Bundys, but we had to be there to be between them and the predatory federal government who seemed intent on doing the same to them as they did the Davidians. And actually they ended up pouring a bunch of AR 15s at the cops and the law enforcement back down. Yeah. And still to this, or at least as of 2018, Bundy still grazes his cattle on public land while owing the federal government more than $1 million. So uh, they responded that way. And so the militia group was basically saying, even if I don't agree with Bundy, I just got to go bear arms with my other other group here, regardless what? of what they want. And that's not right. That's not right either. Yeah. But it's in response to Waco. You could really. see, I mean, and like you're saying, I not, we're not endorsing this sort of attitude uh, at all on this podcast. but you can see how someone can get from watching Ruby Ridge happen and watching Waco happen to, um, I don't want to be murdered because I'm strange. Um, and, and so you stock up on guns and then the second you feel that perceived threat, then, you know, you might go a little, you know, crazy and, uh, who knows what can happen at that point. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, we don't need, I don't know. It, I, I don't know where to go from the soapbox, but, um, you know, we, we don't need a place where, we don't feel safe. You know, we need to find a way for the, the people of our country to feel safe or else we'll, you know, people will react poorly, you know, a cornered animal. I guess it was just what, like my big thought coming back from this is not necessarily the political side, but it's just how quickly something can go so poorly Yeah, with the Waco stuff. Mm -hmm. Like how, how, and, and, and the effects of it, what, Regardless of whether the Bundy, I mean, the Bundy stuff was bad. The Waco stuff's awful. I mean, that is, there's a documentary on the Waco stuff, and that is heartbreaking. Or not the Waco, the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, that is heartbreaking. That bombing, and you know, not just to to know there's a a, a, a domino effect of just different things. Not it's to make light crazy. of this at all, but I mean, haven't y'all ever been in like, I mean, in an argument with your with your wife uh, or significant other, and sometimes you're like, you don't even remember what started. All of a sudden, you're you're yeah. Enraged and you don't even know how you got here. Yeah. Yeah. And neither does the other person. And I that's what happened in Waco, it seemed to me. Right. It's well, like, it's like, you it know, did, day yeah. thirty, they're both just like, 
you can't leave now. You can't just walk away. Neither group can give up, you know? Yeah. You have to get to that, that siege. You have to get to day 51, um, in that situation. There's no backing down after two weeks of this. Um, yeah. You're, I mean, that's anytime, a yeah, you just have to back up and go, wait, time out. Well, how, yeah. how did we get here and how do we get away? And, yeah. and, but you're right. Sometimes you just, you've stood up and there's just no backing down and, and you don't even know why anymore. Yeah. And, well, and, and, yeah. and I think that's maybe the thing is we've got to find a way to, right. As people in, in as people, just we have our, to find a way to on our one-on-one conversations and, and situations, try to find that place to, when you feel yourself getting angry and you don't even know what the deal is try to talk yourself out of it. Like don't try to keep hyping yourself up in your head about how this person screwed you over or did something wrong or whatever. Like let yourself deescalate it, you know? And, and, and maybe if we as a society can do that, we'll uh, have a lot less shitty situations. I will say that Tammy and I, you know, not as much as we have sometimes in the past, but we will call just one of us will go timeout. I need a timeout. Yeah. And, and that timeout is just to kind of go cool down, figure out how the hell we got here and try to, move away peacefully. Yeah. Yeah. So Kev, how's um, your wife? The, she's, she's good. She agrees with everything I say every time. <laughs> always in agreement. <laughs> um, all in all, I would say whether you know about the Waco stuff or don't, the docuseries, like LJ said off the top, they did a really good job with it. The acting was really good. Mm-hmm. The storytelling was good. It was, it was, it was really neat to watch. Uh, I would definitely give it, give it a, uh, give it a go. Um, I thought it was hilarious, and this the, this was just there was a few because they have humorous parts throughout, you know, just different little things. And I thought it was great when uh, Thibodeau is talking to what's her it's 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 the girl of Ozark is who he's talking yeah, to Julie Garner, right? And at at one point they're talking about well, when you get out of here, what are you going to get to eat? And Thibodeau says. I want to get some frozen catfish sticks <laughs> or fish sticks. I'm like, really, Tibbs? That's the meal when you get out of all this crap and you can finally get some good food. You're going to go get some frozen fish sticks. Well, and I don't want to pick on a guy, but have you seen what he looks like now? That dude has eaten yeah. nothing but fried food. Yeah. <laughs> He's eating a lot of fried fish sticks, I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, well, he got his fair share afterwards. Another goofy thing I wanted to point out, how many Colkins are there? I thought there was just the one for the longest time. <laughs> well, I think, I, isn't there just the two? Because I did, I was watching, I was like, that look, dude looks a lot like Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, it, I well, that's Rory Culkin. Um, have you watched yeah. Succession? Oh, that Different is, yeah, Culkin. Okay. There's also two other brothers and two sisters, I believe. Most of them don't do any real acting, but I just, it, I, so it turns out Rory Culkin is basically Macaulay Culkin uh, in your mind. Like Richie Rich, I believe, is uh, Rory Culkin. Um, yeah, there's... The Culkins blow my mind. The Macaulay, Macaulay, Culkin, huh. Culkin, uh, being the leader of the bunch. But other other notes, I just I wrote down from it. Poor girl, when she was typing up the 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 manuscript, or whatever, and her hands just bleeding. Oh and right, just yeah. Keeps talking, she's like, I'm bleeding, and he's just like, All right, and he just continues yeah. on talking. I was like, Golly. Yeah. And then one of us need to we need to figure out a way to get uh, John England's voice, the radio guy. <laughs> His voice was like, there's that one quote I have from where he's like, this is uh, John Engelman reminding you to pay your parking tickets because the ATF is in town and they're hunting them. Like he just has that deep voice and he played the role of the radio uh, personality really well. Yeah. Uh, John, any other notes from the show? Either just little things or anything? I think think I'm broken. Just I'm broken on shows, like watching shows, not... Like, so that was fine, but like I tried to restart up uh, season four, I think season four, whatever the newest season of Billions came out, and I've watched the other ones, 
And I haven't, obviously, I hadn't watched in a while because they've been, had, you know, there's a hiatus between, like, they let them all out and then there's hiatus. I caught up late, so I watched, like, all of them. I binge-watched them. And then it was hard for me to get this new season. I was like, oh, crap, wait, what happened? What's the storyline I'm following? What's what just ended? What ended on the last episode? I think I, Netflix and HBO Go have broken my I'll tell you, TV watching. I, I don't know if I 100% am with you, but I am on at least one show where Hannah and I have watched the first episode of Mindhunter season two twice and have like yet to under like we have to rewatch all of season one now because I don't remember enough of it to get into season two. You know what I mean? Uh, you will get into it. Just press on I through. I, 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 <laughs> I can tell you from experience. <laughs> but it is just like, I love season one and then episode one of season two is just like, there's so much that I need to know yeah. back into this. And I think that's like a testament to like how Netflix has changed TV, right? Where it's like, we're making yeah. bingeable shows. We're not making week to week reveals. It. So, uh, yeah. I think that about does us for this week's podcast. We actually got a jam-packed for you one today. I, now, next week, there is no telling what could come from the group here. I mean, <laughs> we, it, we might talk the shopping cart theory. We might get on some idioms. We might. LJ's going to be solo dolo for a few days at the house. There's no telling what kind of topics he's going to come, come across. So you could have an interesting JPP pod. And plus, we're going to have a, a weekend. Pops is going to be coming off a weekend from of Memorial Day, so there might be a good story from Pops. You never know. <laughs> Maybe even one I could tell. <laughs> you want a little teaser but, for next week? Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you know what uh, from the horse's mouth means? No, I You'll don't. You'll find I, out next they, week. They You'll find out next week. <laughs> ah, wow. Good teaser. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it. All right, find our show notes over at our website, just press play, jpppod.com, or you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter. And uh, make sure you're subscribing to the pod wherever you get your podcast, and we will catch you with the answer to where the, from the from the from LJ's question <laughs> next week on the flippity flip <laughs> on the flippity flip. <laughs>